All right, so if you're turning with me today, we're going to start in Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. And as you can tell by the ship here, we're still in our we're still in our ship series. So if you hadn't been here in the last, this will be the third week. So if you hadn't heard, you can go listen to those messages, pull up the podcast. Um, but we've been having a really good time, and God's been speaking to me, and I know speaking to some of you guys through this. So we're still on ships. So this week we're in the third week. And today I'm going to talk to you about another ship. So the first week, we talked about the ship that you got thrown out of. Remember Jonah was running and he got thrown out of the ship. Um, And then last week we talked about the ship that went down. When Paul was riding on the ship and his whole ship went down, but everybody made it. Because of God's grace, they they all made it safely, but the ship was destroyed. The ship was gone. And this week, I want to talk to you about the ship that you're building. So we've been talking about all different kinds of ships, right? We've been talking about relationships and worship and friendships and partnerships and leadership and all the different ships. So this week, I'm talking to you about the ship that you are building And before we start reading the scripture, I just want to ask you the question, what are you building? And if you didn't know it, you are building something with your life and with your money and with your time and with your thoughts and the things that you do and the relationships that you're building something. And it may not be really obvious to you when you're in the middle of it, what you're building or even that you're building something, but you are. And one day you'll be able to look back over your life or other people will be able to look at your life and see what it was that you were building. What was the most important thing to you? You're building something, whether it's on purpose or not. So I don't want to build something that wasn't on purpose. Look back and think, oh man, I didn't mean to build that. So what is it that you're building? Look at Genesis 6. Um... We're going to look at a familiar story. We're going to look at the story of Noah. And and everybody knows the story of Noah, right? Even people that aren't Christians have heard the story of Noah and the ark. And they say that it can't be true. And there's all different things. We're going to look at a couple of those different things. But pretty much everybody's heard the story of Noah and the ark. right? That a giant flood came and God told this guy to build an ark to save him and his family and two of every kind of animal and they would go on this big boat and be saved and it would save all of mankind and all the different kinds of animals. But if you go read this whole story, we don't have time to read the whole entire story today because I'm trying not to make this last for an hour. So if you go read this whole story, mankind and humans had gotten really bad at this point. Things had gotten really ugly, and like some, some really weird stuff was happening. Like the Bible tells us that angels looked down at women and thought, man, the daughters of men are beautiful. And so angels were coming down and getting with these women and having children. And then that's where the giants came from, the Nephilim and these other kinds of giants and these perversions were actually half angel, half human. And so the whole population of humans was becoming more and more violent and more and more just 
perverted and angry and all just doing all kinds of wrong to each other and all this bad stuff. And God's looking down on the earth and God actually got sad. It says that it broke God's heart that the people he created had become so evil and so perverted. It's a good encouraging way to start the message, huh? <clears throat> Starting in verse 6. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, like he was sorry that he made men. And it grieved him at his heart. Some translations say it broke his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping things, and the fowls of the air. For it repenteth me that I have made them. Such a good Bible verse. Verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Some good names there if anybody's looking like the name Ham. We're going to talk about Ham here in a few minutes too. There's some interesting things about him. But first, let's read verse 11. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark. And shalt pitch it within and without. With pitch. So pitch was like pretty much what we know of as tar. It was like a tar-like substance. It was waterproof. And God told him to rub tar all over the outside once he made it with gopher wood and rub it all over the inside to pretty much waterproof it. The interesting thing is that um, this was a Hebrew word that was used here in these instructions from God to Noah. And the Hebrew word, it means tar, like the literal what it was. But this is the word that means atonement and covering it's the same word that was used to tell us what Jesus' blood does for us well, that's kind of weird kind of weird that the, the Hebrew word here is the same word that's used to describe the blood of Jesus that covers our sin that's our atonement but that was the same word that was used It's the covering of our sin. Remember, Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man, of himself. Like even as it was in Noah, this was a picture of Jesus to come. The grace that would save us and carry us through even when God wanted to pour out judgment and wrath. That we could step into 
the atonement or the covering that was offered by Jesus through the cross and that we would make it through the flood, that we would make it through the storm. It's all a picture of Jesus, picture of things to come. After the cross, um, I don't know if you remember, after the cross, Jesus died and he came back after the resurrection and there were some disciples that were walking on the road to Emmaus and Jesus started walking with them and they didn't recognize him and so they sat down to eat and Jesus took a Bible and it says that Jesus started pointing out through all the Old Testament, Jesus was pointing himself out. And it says that everywhere, like all the types and shadows of Jesus throughout the, their um, Torah, that Jesus was pointing himself out. And so when I read this this week, I imagined that when he came right here to Genesis 6, he pointed himself out. Because we know that the ark was a type of, of Christ, of Jesus. And imagine Jesus pointing himself out, like in the ark, and they said, cover it with the pitch, and that's me. That's what I just got done doing. So the next uh, verses 15 through 19 is God giving him specific dimensions for the ark. He said, make it 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits tall. Um, now, there's been a lot of debate on what size the ark was and what size it really was. And the, the reason for the debate is well, you think, well, you could just do the math and find out, you know, how many inches and feet are the cubits and stuff. But you see, in the ancient world, they used to measure things by cubits. Um, the problem is they didn't have tape measures. So like your inch is the same as my inch. A cubit was measured by a man's arm from his elbow to his longest finger. So my cubit might not be exactly the same length as your cubit, right? And to my, my middle finger is my longest one, but maybe somebody was born with a birth defect and had a big old long index finger. So if you go start looking into it to find out how big the ark really was, they say that a cubit could have been anywhere between 17 to 22 inches long, depending on the length of the man's arm. So we're not really sure how long Noah's arm was, but between 17 to 22 inches long. Um, so it's hard to get the exact dimensions, but it was about, roughly, pretty close to 550 feet long. So think about that. That's, that's almost two football fields long. It was 91 feet wide. So this building is only 80 feet. So bigger than that, wide, almost two football fields long, and then it was 55 feet tall. 55 feet tall. Think of like a high-rise, you know, usually a story is 10 feet. So we're talking like over five stories high was the ark. God's telling him to build it with no power tools, with no crane, no scissor lift, no construction crew, no, like, if somebody told me that I had to build this church with no tools and no Home Depot and no, that would probably take me the rest of my life. I had to just walk out there in the woods and chop down a tree and turn it into lumber and build something as big as this. And we're talking a whole lot bigger than this church. 
four times the length of this church and taller. I say all that to say like this, this wasn't an easy task. And when God calls you to do something, it's not going to be something you can figure out on your own. It's not going to be something that doesn't require any faith. He always calls you to do something you can't do. That's what he does. He calls you to give something that you don't have extra to give to see if you have the faith to trust him. So we skip those instruction verses. Verse 20 says, Of the fowls after their own kind, and of cattle after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after his kind, two of every sort shall come unto thee to keep them alive. Two of every kind of animal, he's telling him. And take thou unto thee of all food that is eaten, and thou shalt gather unto thee, and it shall be for food for thee and for them. So he's telling them, you got to gather up enough food to feed you and your family, and you got to gather enough food and water for all these animals. And we think if we've just heard the story and you've never actually read it or done any studying on it, you think, well, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, so he had to get up enough food that's going to last him a month and a half, a little longer. They were actually on the ark for a year, a little bit over a year, like 370-something days, I think it is. A little over a year they were on the ark. You imagine how much food and water it would take to live for over a year? Eight humans plus two of every kind of animal. And there were no windows and trap doors and stuff like we just read. It was all sealed with pitch. So there's a year's worth of poop and pee. It was kind of messy. Probably pretty stinky in there. After a year, and, and this is what God's telling him to do. Verse 22 says, Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. Man, obedience. Why won't God use me in a big way? Have you done what he told you to do? There's a whole lot of people that wonder why. I wonder why God doesn't do big things in and through my life. Did you do the last thing he told you to do? Because if Noah didn't obey, then we wouldn't be reading a story about him. Well, what God told me to do was little. It wasn't going to be some big historic event. How you know? Unless you did it and then see what he's got next. God doesn't give you the faith to finish. Right? You've got faith to start. To step out. To do what he told you to do and then you see what's next. Then it unfolds. Then you see more of the story, more of the vision, more of the purpose of why you're alive. You, you don't get it all at once. Then it wouldn't be faith. If you had all the strength and you knew how to work it all out, it, you wouldn't have to trust. God wants us to trust. He wants us to have faith. He wants us to stretch and grow our faith. To step into what he's called us to do. God, use me in a big way. He says, just do what I've told you to do. He wants to use every one of us in a big way. 
I feel alone. You ever felt alone? You ever felt like nobody had your back? Because that's probably how Noah felt. It says, the Bible tells us that he was a preacher of righteousness. Like he was just preaching to people. And it took him a hundred years to get the ark built. He was as young, he was only 500 years old when God told him this. And he was 600 years old when he got the ark done and got on it. Now, we don't know if he just procrastinated for about 25 years and then it actually took him 75 or if it took him, you know, I don't know. But there was a hundred year span from when God said it to him to when he got on. Remember, people lived a lot longer back then, but he was 600 years old when he got on. That's a pretty old dude. And, and if he's been working with his hands, chopping down trees and building this ark, and the only help he had was his three boys and his daughter-in-laws, because everybody else laughed at him and made fun of him and turned their back on him and said he was crazy, and why would he be building a boat? They were nowhere near water, and up to this point, it had never even rained before. The earth and the crops and stuff were watered from the ground up. They'd never even seen rain, so he was crazy. He was probably made fun of a lot. And he probably felt alone. Have you ever felt alone? Like he was the only one. He was crazy. I thought about this week as I read it. Imagine being one of his kids. Right? It's not bad enough your name's Ham. You're probably getting beat up at middle school anyways because of your name's Ham, Sham, and Japheth. Then you're coming home and it's like, Dad, what are you doing? Starting to build something, boys. Let's get to work. Why is this spot cleared all the way, you know, two football fields long? Oh, that's how big it's going to be. What? How long is this going to take, Dad? Because I got plans. I probably 100 years or so. What, that, 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 what? I mean, imagine being one of his kids. Imagine being ridiculed and made fun of by everybody you know. Your dad's the crazy person and you're his slave. Doing all the work and building this ark for him, right? Like, I feel bad for these three boys. They had to work for 100 years on something. And, and here's the thing. Like, I guess I never really looked at it from the, the boys' standpoint, but it was pretty bad for Noah. But God told it to Noah. God didn't tell it to the boys. They just had to do it. They just had to be like, all right, well, Dad said we got to build this. So we're, well, Dad said God said it. So we're going to spend the next hundred years slaving away on something. Boy, I hope Dad was right. Like, I hope he, I hope he really heard God. Four times the length of this church building. Oh, it's got to be gopher wood, Ham. Why are you dragging a pine tree over here? Got to be gopher wood. Let that thing go. I feel like there's a lot to the story that we didn't get recorded. And we'll find out later. So Noah was the original prepper. He was storing up food and water and all this stuff. And... All of the uh, 
critics and naysayers have been debunked and there's proof on every different level that this was true and that this could have really happened. Biologists and they've found oceanic fossils on top of mountains like um, the fossils from a killer whale on top of a mountain. Right? Explain that. If there was never a flood that flooded the whole earth, then how did the, the entire fossils from a killer whale land on top of a mountain? You had your pet free willy and he died and you drug him on top of the mountain to the pet cemetery? Don't think so. So there's that. Then they've found the boat, the actual parts of the boat where it lodged on top of the mountain. Um, and then this part was kind of, kind of amazing. But there are over 150 global flood stories found from different tribes, from ancient civilizations, carved inside cave walls. Uh, and they all, all 150 stories or accounts include a man that was favored and he built a vessel and him and his family and a whole lot of animals survived. They found accounts of this in Africa, Brazil, in all kinds of uncivilized tribes across the world. They're all telling this story. You say, well, how in the world could every animal in the world fit in a boat? Yeah, I know that was a big boat that you just described, but how could you fit two of every kind of animal? And what we just read where it kept saying kind unto his kind and the fowl of the air, two of their kind. And that word kind that was used is also, it's a Hebrew word. And it means animals uh, that can procreate two of their kind. So, like, two dogs were on the ark. But there wasn't two wolves and two labs and two chihuahuas and two border collies and two... No, there was just two of that kind, the canine kind. Right, so there wasn't all these different species and all different kinds. It was just two of each kind. So that really narrows it down when you do that. And then they've taken into account all the animals that have gone extinct since then and the animals that, that were around back then. And so I say about 50,000 animals, give or take a few, should, should cover it. So the question is, was the ark and the dimensions that God gave big enough for that? And the answer is yes. Because when you factor in all the bugs and all the little small animals and two squirrels and two lizards and two all the little animals, believe it or not, I mean, in our mind, we're thinking, man, animals, there's some huge animals. There, you had to be two hippopotamuses in there, two elephants in there. and two. True. But when you average it out with all the bugs and all the little animals, the average animal is the size of a sheep. So if the average animal is the size of a sheep, when you factor it all in, um, you've seen those, uh, those railroad livestock cars. In one of those livestock cars, you can fit 240 sheep in the railroad car. 
um, inside Noah's Ark, you could fit 549. So basically, if you do the math on it, you could have fit all those animals, two of each kind, into the ark, and it would only filled up 36% of the ark. The rest could have been rooms for the humans, and then about half the ark was full of food and water to feed them all for a year. It took up maybe more space than the actual animals took up. So I'll say all that to say it's true. It's easy to just write off this huge miracle that God did in this boat, this ship. But it could happen. It did happen. Genesis 7, 1. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Skip on up to, skip to verse 7. And Noah went in and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him into the ark because the waters of the flood. All right, so pay attention to this. They all went and got in the ark. And of clean beasts and of the beasts that are not clean and of the fowls and of everything that creepeth upon the earth. And there went in two and two unto Noah, unto the, sh unto the ark, the male and the female, as God had commanded Noah. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were upon the earth. What? After seven days? Him and his wife and his sons and his sons-in-laws and then all the animals started coming in and then after seven days, the water started coming. Skip down. It just tells us about all the beasts coming on. and uh, Verse 15. And they went in unto Noah, all the animals, unto the ark, two and two of all flesh, wherein it is, is the breath of life. And they that went in, went in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. God closed the door. So they went into the ark, and nothing happened for seven days. That seems crazy. If you embrace the crazy and obey God and trust Him and have faith, and if you will step out in obedience, if you'll have the faith, He'll close the door. And so many times in my own life, I found myself praying that God would open a door. Hey, God, will you open this door? God, will you open that door? God, will you open a door that I could walk through or I need to advance in this area or that area? And, and I find myself more recently praying, hey, God, I believe I've stepped out in obedience. I, I've stepped out in faith. I don't really know if this is going to work or how this is going to work, but would you close the door? Noah did what he was supposed to do, and then he was sitting in there praying, God, close the door. Do it. Can you imagine what his wife was saying to him? In them seven days when they were sitting in there and the door was open and they had no way to close the door and it wasn't raining and people were walking by laughing at them and they're like, 
Well, we moved out of the house into here with all these animals and ain't nothing happening. Honey, are you sure he said an ark? Maybe he said build a park. Did, you sure God didn't say, like, do some art? Or, I mean, I'm sure he was catching it from his wife and his kids and his daughter-in-laws. Are you sure that's what God said? In your obedience, there will be seasons of waiting. Don't quit. Don't give up. Pastor Bruce says that obedience is a slow and steady walk in the same direction. Right? And sometimes it just feels like I'm just doing this because I know it's what I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm taking these steps, right? And I'm going to church and I'm not doing this and I am doing this and, and I'm not even feeling it right now. But I know this is the direction I'm supposed to be headed. So obedience is just a slow and steady walk in the same direction. And in a few years you look around and realize, hey, I've come a long way. I made it pretty far, one step of obedience at a time. Noah, the name Noah means rest. How did he keep on going? How did he keep on building? He was 600 years old. He had a vision and a goal that inspired him. He knew that God said it. People aren't lazy. They just have goals that don't inspire them. The vision and the purpose of God on their life. God's placed something inside of you that you will be passionate for. Like he's placed something in you that moves you. You need to find that. Skip ahead to 8, chapter 8, verse 15. And God spoke unto Noah, saying, Go forth of the ark alright the ark landed it's time to get out I'm skipping some because it's a long story and God spoke unto Noah saying go forth of the ark thou and thy wife and thy sons and thy sons wives with thee bring forth with thee every living thing that is with thee of all flesh both of the fowl and of the cattle and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth that they may breed abundantly in the earth and be fruitful and multiply upon the earth and Noah went forth and his sons and his wife and his sons wives with him every beast every creeping thing and every fowl and whatsoever creepeth upon the earth after their kinds went forth out of the ark so everybody took off and they're all out and free. And Noah builded an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more everything living as I have done. 
So, a couple of things. Remember Noah's son, Ham? Noah's son, Ham, is the one that Noah made some major mistakes. Like, Noah wasn't perfect. He had some problems. And Noah's son, Ham, like one time Noah got drunk after the flood. They grew a vineyard, and he got drunk, and he passed out naked. He was not his finest moment. And his son, Ham, started making fun of him looking at his nakedness rather than covering him and making fun of him and his two brothers were like shut up and they grabbed a cover and they walked in backwards so they didn't see their father's mistake his nakedness and covered him up um and so ham he got cursed for this and for looking at that and for his attitude and all this stuff but that's whole ham now ham had a son named cush and Cush had a son named Nimrod. All right, so Nimrod, it's a good name there. Uh, Nimrod was Noah's great-grandson. Okay, follow me. Noah's great-grandson, Nimrod, he did a couple of notable things in the Bible, things that you may not know. Now, here's what Nimrod did. Number one, he built the city of Nineveh. That giant rich city that we talked about two weeks ago where, remember where Jonah was supposed to go preach because they were so violent and perverted and doing all the bad stuff? Nimrod built that city. You know what else he did? Nimrod built the Tower of Babel. He was in charge of that. That whole building project that God had to come in and sabotage. It's a good dude. The Jewish history writer, historian Josephus writes that Nimrod built the tower in case it ever flooded again. That he wanted to build a tower taller than any mountain, taller than any flood water could reach that was strong enough that it couldn't be washed over and so that him and whatever people he chose could come up onto the top of the tower and live. Rather than trusting God and having faith, he thought, I'm going to figure out how to do it myself. Noah, I don't need God. We'll just build a tower ourselves. So Nimrod was building. Oh, just like his great-grandpa, he was a builder. He was building a giant city called Nineveh, the evil city. He was building the Tower of Babel. He was doing all these weird things. He had some weird perversion stuff going on that made the that made God's people reject him. He married his mother, which is very weird. This is all Nimrod. So if somebody calls you a Nimrod, that's a pretty bad insult. Ultimately, he was spending his life building things that weren't getting him to where he needed to be. So I want to say about this story that the ark was just a vehicle. The ark saved them. The ark was grace, much like all of the other ships we've been talking about for the last few weeks. But it was just a vehicle. In John 14, Jesus said, In my Father's house are many mansions, many homes. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again 
and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Where was Jesus? In perfect relationship with the Father. Jesus went to the cross to prepare a place so that we could be in relationship with God. And, uh, and we've looked at that verse before and said, um, in my Father's house are many mansions, many dwelling places is the word in the Greek. And you're a dwelling place for God. You're a dwelling place for God. You're a dwelling place for God. So in my Father's house are many dwelling places, many places where the Holy Spirit lives and dwells and where God lives. So can I say, in my Father's house are many vehicles, many ships, many vehicles for the presence of God. Last few weeks, perspective keeps coming up. And here we go again with this one. They say with um, your perspective is everything. And that a pessimist sees only a dark tunnel. An optimist standing in the same spot sees a light at the end of the tunnel. A realist standing there sees a freight train coming towards them. But the train driver sees three idiots standing on the train track. Like your perspective can change a lot. Your position changes a lot. And I think sometimes that we get the vision, the dream, the purpose. Remember, God gave him this vision, this dream, this purpose to build this ark. We get the vision or the purpose, the call on our lives, what's really important, and the vehicle or the stuff, we get it mixed up. And this is how we get our lives off track. Like, this church building is not the purpose. Right? This, this church building is not what's important. It's just a vehicle that we can meet in and we can have kids camps and youth camps and we can have all this stuff and we can come in here on Sunday morning and meet and God can speak to us and we can have sound equipment so that we can sing songs and get in unity and there's, there's all of the different reasons, but it's just a vehicle. We can't get caught up on the vehicle. Oh, don't bring a cup of coffee in here. You might spill it and stain the carpet. Why would that little kid have a ball in here? Why would that kid run by when we were doing praise and worship? Like, it's just a vehicle. It's okay. That's not what's important. It's not precious. You know, my truck, I like my truck, and it's a vehicle, and it does what I need to do, and it gets me to where I need to go, but it's not precious. The things that happen in my truck are what's precious. Conversations that I get to have with Sky on our way riding to school on Tuesday morning. That's the, that's the stuff that matters. Truck will come, trucks will go. It'll, it could get wrecked or, you know, eventually I won't have the truck anymore, but I'll have the things, the memories that I made, the things that I did. But if I get that flipped and start thinking that the vehicle is what's precious, then I'm going to spend my life building things that aren't important. I'll spend my time and my money and my effort on, like, vehicles rather than what's really precious and what God's called me to and the people that I'm supposed to help. The vehicle isn't precious. 
what's in it is. Now, the vehicle matters, right? Like if you have a vision, if God's given you a vision and it's just placed in your heart to go to Africa, the vehicle's going to matter. You're probably going to need a plane. But like if your vision tomorrow is that you got to go to Bremen Walmart and buy some cat food, a rocket ship is not what you need. You can't fly to Bremen Walmart in a rocket ship. The rocket ship can take you to another planet if you can afford the rocket fuel. But it's not going to take you to the Bremen Walmart. So yes, the vehicle is important. Like the vehicle matters, but it's not what's precious. It's not the most important thing at all. It's the people and the lives. I've learned a lesson over the last few years that it's much easier to remember God and to look back at your past and see God working if you learn to separate the vehicle from the vision, the purpose from the stuff. For some of you, it's still hard to do. It's hard to separate. I'll give you the answer. You ready to do a little bit of math? All right. Pick a number between one and 10. You got your number? Any number between one and 10. Now double it. All right, you got your number? Now, add six. Divide it in half. Good. Now, subtract the original number. Everybody still with me? Your answer should be three. Yeah. Everybody's shaking their heads, yeah. No matter what, I mean, unless you, you're not good at math, I, what I'm about to say, I'm not trying to insult you. Either, maybe you didn't follow me when I explained it well, but no matter what, that formula, the answer is three. No matter what. I didn't even believe it, so I sat there and tried several different ones. I picked number two, I picked number eight, I picked multiple different numbers to see, and it always comes out to three. It's true. The answer is always three. Well, why'd you say that? Why'd you do that? Because for us, the answer is always Jesus. And every week I preach the same thing in a different way. And we look at Old Testament stories and it always points back to Jesus and the cross and what was done for us. And he's the answer to everything. He's always the answer. You don't have to know all of the answers to step out. You don't have to know all of the answers to obey God. Just step out and know that Jesus is the answer. It's a name that's bigger than any other name. It's a name that's bigger than doubt, guilt, and pain. It's the name of Jesus, so don't quit. The ark saved you, and it got you to where you are. But Jesus is the answer. Don't get stuck on the vehicle, on the ship, on the ark. And we saw last week that the ship might be broken to pieces. It might not even make it. So what did Jesus build? If Jesus was the answer, 
Did he build anything? Because we're talking about what you're building today. You build what you love. Jesus said, I will build my church. The church is not a building. It's the gathering or connecting of his body of people. And Jesus said, I'll build my church. Why? To serve and love and connect and ultimately change the world. Colossians tells us that Jesus is the head and the church is the body. So you could say Jesus is a bodybuilder. He's building his body. He's building his church. You can see what you love or what you worship by looking at what you build. Jeremiah 2. Hear God's message, house of Jacob. Yes, you, house of Israel. God's message. What did your ancestors find fault with in me that they drifted so far from me and took up with Sir Windbag and turned into windbags themselves? The New Living Translation says that they worship worthless idols only to become worthless themselves. You become what you worship. The thing that you love the most, that's what you build and you start to look like. The things that you love the most, and this is proven not just biblically, but it's proven in all different areas. Like people that have been married for a long time, they start to look like each other. They look like brother and sister because they love each other. And by the, towards the end of their life, you look at some older couples and like, man, they look alike. Are they siblings or something? No, but the longer you start to look like the thing that you love the most, that's why Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why? Because as we grow and mature, we're supposed to look more and more like God. We're supposed to look more and more like Him. The problem is we worship all kinds of things. So some people worship alcohol. They give it their time. They give it their money. They bow down to it. They pay homage. They idolize it. And here's the problem. They run to it in good times. Yay, let's celebrate. I'm going to drink alcohol if that's the thing that I've chosen to, to worship. And then they run to it in bad times. Oh, I'm depressed. I'm upset. I need you start to run to it. Well, then when they're stressed out, they run to it. When a hard thing happens, they run to it. When they're tired, they run to it. I can tell he's an alcoholic just by looking at him. You ever heard somebody say that? somebody gets older because you start to look like what you've been running to all these years what you've been building what you've been sacrificing to so I ask you an important question today when you're tired what well do you sit at where do you find a drink what or who do you worship don't worship the ark. Don't worship the ship or the boat. You can't rely on the ark. It can't bring you happiness. I mean, it will for a season, but it can't be your source of happiness. Jesus is. 
if the source is Jesus and you can separate the vehicle from the purpose, then you won't get distracted. Uh, you'll keep building what you're supposed to build. You won't come down. Um, when thinking of building, uh, when Nehemiah went to build back the walls that were all torn down and, and God's people were just vulnerable and Nehemiah went back to build the wall and their enemies were getting really scared because the wall was almost finished. All that was left was to put the gates up and so they were trying to trick Nehemiah into coming down so they could like take him out, get rid of him. And it says in Nehemiah, when Samballat, Tobiah, and Gisham the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no more breaks in it, even though I hadn't yet installed the gates, Samballat and Gisham sent this message. Come and meet with us at Kifrim in the Valley of Ono. I knew they were scheming to hurt me, so I sent messengers back with this. I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. Why should the work come to a standstill just so I can come down to see you? They were trying to distract him from his purpose, from the vision, from what was really important. And he said, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. In other words, I'm doing something more important and I cannot be distracted. It goes on down to verse 8 says, I sent him back this. There's nothing to what you're saying. You've made it all up. They were trying to intimidate us into quitting. That's all they wanted. His enemies just wanted him to quit. They thought they'll give up. They'll never finish it. And I prayed, God, give me strength. And for some of you, you're building something and you've stepped out and you've stepped out on faith and obedience and, and you're doing what you need to do and you're building the life that you want. But I'm telling you today, there's a lot of distractions. And for some of you, it might be an addiction that's a distraction. And for some of you, you're trying to build a relationship for the future and it might be pornography might be your distraction and and it's maybe something different for all of us but there are distractions there are enemies that would scream at you and try to distract you from the great work that God's called you to from the ship that you're called to build from the ark that's going to take you to life you need to do like Nehemiah and say I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down you know what I'm not going to be distracted because I'm building something that's going to take me to the future that God has for me. I'm building something that's going to take me to be the father that I'm supposed to be, to be the mother for my kids that I'm supposed to be, to be the leader in the church that I'm supposed to be, to be free. And yeah, I'm tempted to go do this or that or to, to numb out for a minute, but I know that that's going to destroy the thing that I'm trying to build. I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. You won't distract me anymore. I'm not going to quit. So don't give up. Don't quit.
There's a great work that God has for you. There's purpose and meaning for you. There's a purpose for your life. Jesus never quit. So just keep building. The last, the last part of the story that we didn't read that you probably already know uh, of Noah in Genesis is in verse 9 after they came off the boat. Uh, chapter 9, verse 13. God said, I do set my bow, my rainbow, in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you, and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud. And I will look upon it. God's saying, I will look upon it. And I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, this is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. So, so God sends the rainbow, and I'm sure you've heard that, that the rainbow that God sent says that it'll never flood the earth again, and this is God's covenant. Um, and there's several really cool things about the rainbow. Um, one is to see a rainbow, the sun has to be behind you. The light has to be behind you for you to be able to see the rainbow out in front of you. Um, the other thing that I would point out is you don't find rainbows on sunny days. There has to be some rain. There has to be a storm or some clouds. Like just when everything's good and golden and sunshine and there's no problems and there's no hard and there's no, no you don't see the rainbow. You only see the rainbow when there's rain. So to see a rainbow, the sun must be behind you. And this part's pretty cool. Rainbows are personal. No two people have ever seen the same one. Because just by barely moving, it changes the look of the rainbow. So I could be standing right here and looking at a rainbow and I can see it, and you could be standing shoulder to shoulder with me, and you see a different rainbow. Because you see a different part of the horizon, you'd see different colors. Just by barely moving, you would see different rings and different colors. And so they say that no two people have ever seen the same rainbow. Every time you see a rainbow, that's God's picture for only you. It's not for anybody else. It's God's grace saying, hey, I'll never pour out my wrath on you. You get grace. No matter what, you were born with all this in your heart and you have sin and you have problems and you've made mistakes, but this is my rainbow. And it's personal for you, every one of you. It's just for you because God cares. Noah's sons, like I mentioned before, and their wives... They helped build what God said to somebody else that they trusted. 
You know, a lot of times in my building, I'm helping somebody else build something. A lot of times that's our role, like, hey, you know what, that's what God says to build. We're going to jump in and help. One example, um, Pastor Bruce is, uh, he's starting a, a new organization, and it's really cool, and he's got some cool things going, and the organization is called MOST, and that stands for Men Opposing Sex Trafficking, and and it's going to be a really powerful, really cool thing, and that wasn't my vision or my dream to start this organization and do all the cool things that he wants to do to help abolish that and and it's going to be a anti pornography organization because that fuel that's the number one fuel for sex trafficking and so he's got all these big things that he wants to do these big events and stuff and so he said hey you want in on it helping me get this thing going up like I said yeah I'll help build that I believe in that I'll get behind that I can fight for that I can and so not only me, but us as a church, we're getting in on that. Right? We're helping build that organization, and we will fight for that because it's something we believe in. I didn't have the vision to build that. I didn't have the know-how or the connections to build that. But like one of Noah's sons, I'm going to jump in and help with everything I do have to help build that. So there might be some things that you're involved in and maybe it wasn't even your vision. Like this ark, you didn't get the architectural plans from God. That's okay. Jump in and help build. The last thought, this is the, the last thing, we're done. They didn't live on the ark forever. They could have made that bad boy into a giant mansion on top of the the mountain where it lodged. I mean, they spent 100 years building it. Why not? I probably would have just turned that into a house and scooped out all the manure and said, hey, we got a giant mansion on top of this mountain. But they didn't. Remember what we read at the end? God said, hey, get out of the ark. Like we're done here. Don't get stuck on the past. Don't get stuck on what I did back when you were a kid. Don't get stuck on what I said to your grandma. Like, come off the ark. And I thought it was pretty cool that the first thing that Noah did, as soon as they came off the ark, we read it just a few minutes ago, I don't know if you caught it, but the first thing he did is as soon as they came off the ark, Noah started building an altar. He's still building. He didn't stop building. You'd think after 100 years he would have been tired of building. As soon as he came off, he started building an altar. What's an altar? A place of worship, a place of sacrifice. A place, hey, I'm going to keep building. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to pay the price. I'm going to keep building. Don't stop building. And then God made the covenant with the rainbow. There were two different kinds of covenants back then. It was like a binding contract. And so the first kind of covenant was like, a, I'll do this and you do that. Right? It's just like a contract. And so you have to hold up your end of what you're supposed to do and I hold up my end. But then the second kind of covenant, which is the kind of covenant that God cut through the rainbow, was the kind that a king would give to his people, which meant you can do nothing to void this contract or this covenant, and you don't have to do anything to make it happen. I, as the king, am cutting covenant with you. has nothing to do with you. You can say yes, you can say no, you can do whatever you want. You No. 
That was the kind of covenant that God cut by putting the rainbow in the sky with all of mankind, everybody that would ever be born. And if you noticed in the King James where we read it, it said, my bow, my bow, I place in the sky. And if you look up that word, it's a Hebrew word, and it means, it's where we get rainbow, but it means war bow, like a bow and arrow that you would go to war with. And when a warrior would come home from war, they would hang up their bow. And that was a sign that the fight's over. And you notice how a rainbow is shaped. The arrow, if it were to shoot, would go up. And so God hung this, hung up his war bow, his bow of judgment and wrath, and he pointed it up as if to say, hey, I'm never going to judge people again on your sins. And I'm pointing it up because the next time the arrow of judgments come out of this bow, they're going to go into me in the person of Jesus. And he's going to take what you deserve. You'll never be punished again for your perversions and for your violence and for all your wrongdoings. I'm hanging up the war bow. It's pointing up as a sign of my grace for you. Let's pray. God, thank you for reminding us that we're building something. Every one of us is building something. We're building a life. We're building a future. We're, we're building relationships. We're building ministries. We're building all these things. God, today, help us to examine what it is that we're building. What are the ships that we're building, and are they taking us to where you've called us to be and to who you've called us to be? God, we love you. We want our lives to make a difference. We want to touch people. We want to help broken people find healing and, and to be whole. We want to walk in our purpose. God, help us in our mind to separate the vehicle from the purpose. We love you. Thanks for loving us. Thank you for grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.